Leafs Converts Hockey World. What's going on? This is the Leafs Convo Podcast. I'm Norman James, your host. It is great to be with you guys. I've missed you. It seems like it's been forever since we last collabed for some Leafs discussion. And in terms of the world of the Leafs Convo and everything we do, it really has. Five days. But the wait is over. My podcast partner in crime, my Buffalo brethren, Michael Piagello, is standing by. He's chomping at the bit to weigh in on a lot of Leafs-related stuff. The buds being amazing. The buds being not so amazing. What's happening with William Nylander as the deadline for him to play this season quickly approaches. There's Garrett Sparks. Should he really be the backup of the Maple Brothers? Plus, we get to your Twitter questions. This episode is going to be epic because we owe it to you. We've been off for a while. Now we are back in business. Mike's ready to go. I'm ready to go. I know you are too. So what do you say? Let's pod. The Leafs combo starts right now. Long time no talk, my friend. Good morning, Norman. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. Uh, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, after that Leafs drubbing of New Jersey on Friday, I was thinking, you know, you and I are going to go on about how this team is resurrected. It's beginning to score in bunches again. It's going to begin to dominate. And then after all the pomp and circumstance of the Hall of Fame game and the remembrance ceremony, they go into Boston and they get slaughtered. So how do you want to set the narrative for this conversation well i mean for let's take the new jersey game first um it was unusual in the sense that they got half of their production from their third and fourth line which for most of the year they've been carried by their core group and other than the you know they got goals from Tavares and Kadri, um but you know Andreas Janssen scores his first of the year. Connor Brown scores. Tyler Innes scores. You know, they get contributions throughout the lineup. Uh, you know, uh, Power Lindholm has a couple of assists. Ron Hainsey has a couple of assists. It was just a good, thorough overall effort against the team. And that's the thing. A team that is struggling right now in, in New Jersey. Now, they scored their season high at home, six goals, and now they're 500 at home, which is a lot better than they were a little while ago. But I think that the shine on that game is sort of taken off by a dreadful performance in Boston where they had 20 shots in the first period and could not beat Yarrow Halak. And then Patrice Bergeron, the leaf killer scores late in the first period. And the air was sort of let out of the balloon. And, you know, as I've I said, said my column yesterday, the Leafs, cannot beat the Bruins when the Bruins put up that Bergeron Pasternak Marshan line. They have to find an answer. Otherwise, you know, if they match up with them in the first round, in spite of all of Boston failings and all of Boston's mm -hmm. idiosyncrasies, I would pick the, I would pick the Bruins because the Leafs have not proved that they can shut down that line. And that's the important thing when they face Boston. This is the Leafs combo. Norman James, along with Mike Ogiello, about 70% of our listenership, is unsubscribed but we know you come back frequently to listen do us a favor hit the subscribe button on our youtube channel please uh we do you favors uh we make you pull your hair out we are here for you with our conversation several times a week we're dedicated to it we're committed to it especially for this season um just do us a favor we're entering the giving season hit the subscribe button help us get our subscribership up to around two thousand Hopefully, um, by December, it would mean a lot to us. And you can always unsubscribe as you go along. Mike, what is, what would you say the 
the need is uh, to deal with this Bergeron line? Do is it skill? Because it feels to me like you know this Bergeron Marchand Pasternak line is ready to take on any sort of skill that comes its way, and it, it, there's a confidence in, in that trio's play that is difficult to match, especially when you have a younger set of players going up against them from the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. What what do you need to 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 nip these guys in the bud and basically find a tonic? to match you know this Boston line that not only beats the Leafs on the score sheet but mentally and spiritually has the Leafs beaten before the puck is dropped well I mean first of all and I I pointed at this out yesterday that you know granted Austin Matthews is out of the lineup they don't have the services of William Nylander who scored 60 points two years in a row and Freddie Anderson was you know resting in the second of back to back and Garrett Sparks was playing. Now we'll talk about that in a minute. But Boston was also without probably arguably their best defenseman in Charlie McAvoy. And Tuka Rask was on a leave of absence. So they were playing against Yara Halak. So both teams were sort of at a disadvantage and didn't have their best lineup. But in even even in that case, you know, Bergeron uh, Pasternak and Marchand compo- uh, combined for four of the five goals. I mean, the four most meaningful of the, of the, of the five goals. So, I mean, I think one thing is that, you know, Mike Babcock, when it comes to playoff time is going to have to match fire with fire. Now uh, my, my solution was, and they've used this combo before during the regular season at certain times where they've moved Kadri to the wing with, Tavares and Marner match fire with fire, put a line out there, you know, Kadri can get underneath people's skins, just like Marshan can you match up Tavares to Bergeron, you match up Marner to Pasternak, you know, you, you fight fire with fire and that might work. And you have the advantage of, you know, your number two center uh, is, is Matthews. And I'm not saying second line in terms of ranking. I'm just saying, you know, if the Tavares line is matching up head to head against Bergeron, then your second line is Matthews matching up against David Krejci and Matthews mm-hmm. should win that battle. So I, I think that's what has to be done. Obviously the Leafs bef- between now and the deadline with all the cap space that they have, they're going to make acquisitions. They're going to upgrade in certain areas. So I think that the team that you see right now is not the team that you're going to see in March and in the playoffs, but Babcock is going to have to find a solution to matching up against that big line. And if he doesn't, then I think he's going to take some heat if they lose to, if they match up and lose to the Bruins again. Look, beating the Bruins and moving forward, not only in the season, because they'd like to finish ahead of the Bruins in the Atlantic division, but in the playoffs as well. It's a hurdle. It's one of the main challenges, one of the milestones that needs to be overcome uh, as this team journeys towards what could conceivably be a Stanley Cup final appearance, the first since 1967. But it can't, this whole season can't be predicated on whether they beat the Bruins. This, this Leafs team has a lot to accomplish and can do a lot of incredible things. They can't perceive the Bruins to be, and fans especially can't feel like the Bruins are this reaper. It's not the be-all and end-all. So this game on Saturday, you could say that the Leafs were at a disadvantage anyhow. They were going, the odds were they were going to lose on the road, right, Mike? They were 6-0 already. They, they shellacked the Devils in this Friday game that had the pomp and circumstance. Uh, and, you know, traditionally these games were, you know, situated on a Saturday. So, you know, the Leafs would either come off the road and come home 
it was the other way around. So it just felt a little weird. I, I don't, to me, I don't look at this Bruins, this loss to the Bruins on Saturday, like, here, you know, here we go again. Uh, it's just a continuation of the failure uh, against the Bruins, especially in Boston. It was a weirdly placed game. Now it's just out onto the West Coast. The Kings, the Sharks, the Ducks continue their, their success on the road and, and pick up points. Well, I think Babcock is, was of the mindset that you're sort of reflecting. It's like this was no special game. This was one out of 82. Um, he didn't deviate from the back-to-back, usual, the usual SOP when it comes to back-to-back starts. Uh, he goes Anderson in, at home in the first game and the backup Sparks in Boston. Now, like, like I said, I mean, I had a problem with the way Sparks played. He's played three games, and, you know, the, you got to give him a little bit of – cut him a little bit of slack because he has not played – before Saturday, he didn't play in almost a month, and and there will be more back to backs this month than there were last month. But you know he's not getting the work that uh, he, a normal backup does. He, he's probably going to play, you know, anywhere from sixteen to twenty games this year. And so far in three games, he's played badly in two and and good in one. And that's not, you know, that that's not uh, a trend that I think Mike Babcock will accept for much longer. If his next game, which will probably be in one of the back-to-backs, uh, either Thursday or Friday, uh, in California, um, if if he plays badly in that one, that's around the time that he lost confidence with Jonas Enroth a couple years ago. But the problem is, is that they really have no answer right now, other than Sparks, because McElhaney is in Carolina and Pickard is in Philadelphia. So, I mean, they're probably going to stick with him. But I think that you know Babcock, in terms of his trust level for Sparks, will start to take a hit. And he actually, they may have already started to take a hit because if you look at the comments after the game, he's like, "I have mm-hmm. to look at the tape." And you know, that's like a that's like a, the Buffalo Bills coach uh, talking about uh, Nathan Peterman. It's like I have to look at the tape. No, you don't. You just watch the game and you see that the guy sucked. So <laughs> I mean, and I'm not saying that Garrett Sparks sucks, but I'm saying you know, you know that no. so far in three games, two of the three he has played badly, and Mike Babcock's patience when it comes to backup goaltenders is very short. I don't like what's going on, uh, this, these head games, um, this Cold War with Sparks, the way he's, you know, he's suggesting that Sparks isn't living up to the challenge when putting Sparks in a situation that's pretty difficult. Like, I, I still think that Garrett Sparks is the type of goalie who would be perfect to um, be the, maybe not centerpiece, but the backstop for a young team in the NHL somewhere and give the guy a chance to play 55, 60 games and let him go through the ups and downs and find his rhythm. The role he's in right now is a role that someone like Curtis McElhaney should be in. It's tough for this kid because he wants to get out there. He wants to play. And he's a, an A-type. He wears his heart on his sleeve. When he doesn't do well, he, he feels it. It hurts. And, you know, he doesn't have enough pedigree in the NHL to mm-hmm. lean on or to draw upon when things go bad and not only that he feels like he's having he's under pressure having to put on a show for a coach that likes him but doesn't feel like you know there's a a, a synergy there or there's a um you know there's a, a bond there so I, I i don't like the fact that garrett sparks is put in a situation to start in boston when he probably could have started against the devils at home and uh, the outcome would have been probably the same or close to it, and it would have been a positive result for Sparks, allowing him to build upon it. But 
you know, this is why he gets paid the big money. This is a difficult situation for him to be in. And I, I hope that, um, you know, he and Mike Babcock have a dialogue going so that, you know, there's an understanding uh, in regards to the process that is being laid out right now. Because if there's no dialogue and there's, there's no coaching and there's no mentorship and there's no understanding, this relationship can you know really veer in different directions babcock is a very results oriented guy if you per, if you perform for him if you do what he wants he will back you you know he likes power lind home he likes the work ethic he likes Ozaganov. he likes what what he provides you know there are certain players that okay they may not be the greatest but i but he, they he fits what babcock's goal is and he goes with that he backs them with with sparks um, I, you know, this is the funny thing. I asked him at training camp, the first day of training camp, you know, what adjustment are you making, you know, from the mindset, the mental and physical mindset of being a, you know, starter, who's going to start 40, 50 games a year for the Marlies to somebody who may not play, you know, may play once or twice a month as a backup in the NHL. And he said, no adjustment. And, and, and he, so, I mean, I was sort of taken aback by that and, and wrote, that quote in my column on hockey buzz. And then on Saturday after the game, I think he's come to the realization that yes, there is an adjustment. Yes. You have to adjust your, your mindset to be able to not be in the game, to be mm -hmm. just practicing against players and then finally getting your opportunity. It's a tough job and it took, mm -hmm. it, ta it takes veteran guys a long time to adjust to it. And th that's the thing. I mean, the difference between this team winning the Atlantic division, finishing second or finishing third or finishing a wild card is the points that they get when Frederick Anderson is not in the lineup. And if they have to play him 65 to 70 games because their backup is not dependable, that is a failing of the organization. Curtis McElhaney should be the backup. Garrett Sparks is, I think an NHL level goaltender. He'll get there. He's just in the wrong role. He's not, he can do it um, physically, but mentally, I don't think he's the right guy for it. He's not going to play enough. He's not going to get into a rhythm. Um, it's going to be a lot different than um, what he was used to last year, uh, just winning game after game with the Marlies, just being successful, uh, feeling empowered, feeling emboldened. And now he's going to feel relatively isolated imagine not playing for such a long time feeling like uh, you're the you're the forgotten man on the roster and then thrown to the wolves and you lose um it's uh, you know i hope they have a team psychologist who can help a guy like that get through it because i want to see a guy like that succeed i just i don't like the position he's in considering the investment they put in uh to garrett sparks as a you know an institutional guy they want to give him the chance i i honestly feel like it was a um an error in judgment on, on management's part, and they're going to have to do something to fix it. This is the Leafs Convo. I'm Norman James, along with Mike Augello. I put out some feelers on Twitter before we started recording this podcast, asking you if you wanted to have any leafy things addressed, if you had any Leafs questions. Of course, William Nylander comes <laughs> to mind. This is a really good one from Joe underscore 17. Never seen him before. He's got a great red beard. He's got glasses like I do, and it uh, seems like he loves his Maple Leafs. Um, so he tweets, uh, and this is from him, Leafs' Nylander options rank best to worst. So the best signs an eight-year uh, deal with the Leafs under $7 million. Signs number two signs a three-year bridge at $4.5 mil. 
Number three, signs eight years at $8 million. Number four, traded for young stud right-hand defenseman with term. Number five, traded for a package including good young right defenseman. Sits a full year is the sixth ranked thing on Joe's list. And uh, number seven, I believe it is, traded for a package of picks and prospects. So the question he's asking us, what order would you rank them, Michael? Well, the I think the worst option is traded for a package of picks and prospects because that provides no help for the Leafs right away unless they flip the picks and prospects to another organization for the players that they need. And then that, that's adding one difficult step to another difficult step. So I, I think that's the worst option. I actually think the second worst option is the eight years at eight million. He's not an eight million dollar player. He never has shown that he's an $8 million player as of yet, that you're doing it on faith. And there are other players out there, and we, we point to the David Pasternak deal, where, you know, now after a year where he scores, you know, 40 goals or close to it and, and does great guns in the playoffs last year and is leading the Bruins in goals this year after a hat trick against the Leafs, you know, he's worth the $6.6 million that he's being paid right now. But at the time that they signed that contract, a lot of people didn't think he was worth that. Do I think Neander is worth $8 million? No. He might be in the future, but he has not earned that. So I think that's the second worst. Sits the full year. I mean, that I think that's the most unlikely of the scenarios. But in the end, the Leafs would still retain Neander. Um, they would still retain him as an asset that they could trade or sign eventually, but it's sort of a waste. It's a 22 year old guy that, you know, is not playing. Um, but then, you know, like most of the other options I'd say are sort of equal. I, I, but the, the problem is, is that the two top ones that Joe listed signing eight years for under 7 million, that's not happening because it would have happened already. Mm -hmm, Um, I mean, Neilander's camp has made it clear that if it's a long-term deal, that, he wants over $8 million. So he wants a dry cycle deal. And, and there's no, I, the only way I think he takes under 7 million is on a shorter term deal, maybe five or six years or on a bridge. I mean, they were talking about this on hockey night in Canada on Saturday and Nick Kiprios floated the idea of a three year bridge at 6 million. That's the same AAV as Panarin on a bridge deal. And again, William Neander is very good. He is not Artemi Panarin. He is not David Pasternak. Mm-hmm. So he does not des- he does not deserve the amount. the co- The comparables are nowhere close. So that's why that's where the situation is right now. And with what was uh, reported by Elliot Friedman mm-hmm. on Saturday, which has been out there for a little while, that the Leafs are telling teams that are interested in Neander to you know tell us who you won't trade and put up your best offer, you're now a little under three weeks from the December 1st deadline. The Leafs are getting their house in order. That's not saying that it isn't possible that they could sign Neilander to a contract, but they're preparing for all eventualities. And if they get a deal that gives them, you know, one or two pieces that they think is equal to what Neilander can provide, I think Kyle Dubas is pulling the trigger. Yeah, why not? Team Neilander and Team Maple Leafs wanted to be together truly. It would have happened by now. Nylander's camp thinks that William Nylander is a marquee player and should be paid accordingly. The Maple Leafs have many marquee players. And while um, William Nylander could be the top dog on a dozen other teams across the NHL, he's not the top dog in Toronto. 
and he cannot be paid like he's the top dog. The salary cap restricts that because the, the Leafs have guys who are higher on the pecking order who need to be paid and will 100% be paid more than what Nylander is demanding, and he's demanding a lot of money. John Valella, do you think the Leafs would offer Nylander the same percentage of the cap that Ehlers and Pasternak got? Dollar figure might be higher because the cap has gone up since those guys signed. John Valella, a uh, loyal listener to the Leafs convo, a Leafs convert, and he likes the fact that I could pronounce his last name. <laughs> Buddy, I worked in broadcasting for 16 years. I'm a master at name pronunciations, right? Mike Ogeo? <laughs> nice one. Um, well, I have to say this. They, I mean, the report on, on Saturday, and, and Kiprio said that the – the Leafs had not offered this yet, but it, it seems clear that they would offer Nylander a deal with the same percentage of cap as Ehlers and maybe go up to the Pasternak level, which is 6.6. But that, you know, again, with the cap going up, it's not the same percentage that Pasternak was being offered. So it seems that the Leafs have, that's their final line of demarcation. We'll pay you six and a half. We'll pay you 6.6, but we're not paying you seven. And that's on a six-year deal. This is not on an eight-year deal. So, I mean, because at that point, if they get him on a long-term contract at a number that's not hideous, if eventually they want to move him down the line, they there's no, no trade restriction and the salary is very amenable to other teams. If they want to keep him and the deal is good, then then everything is great. But there's no security there for Nealander, and that's why I think he's aiming for this amount that might be tough for the Leafs to move. And the Leafs can't operate that way. They have Neil they have Marner, they have Matthews to pay. And he may very well be a franchise player or a star player, but he hasn't shown that yet separated from Austin Matthews. He's scored three goals in 20 games without Matthews as his center. And that's, I mean, that's not great. And he, I think he has to prove that he is a independently a a really good player to be worth what he is asking for as a restricted free agent. So again, I, I think that if there is a deal to be made in terms of a contract, it's more than likely going to be a bridge. I cannot see the Leafs signing him for 6 million on a bridge deal because that's, I mean, that's really over the top, I believe. And where I see it going here is if he doesn't take a bridge, if he's going to get traded, but it all depends on the offers that the Leafs get. If they get something that they deem to be equal in value, I think they'll do it. They're not Kyle Dubas has a lot riding on this whole situation, and he is not going to do a Peter Chiarelli and trade Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. He has got to get himself a better, more evenly distributed con a, a deal uh, for Neander. Otherwise, he is on the hot seat. We could go on and on. We should wrap up here in a moment. This is the Leafs Combo, Norman James, along with Mike Ogiello. Thank you so much for your listenership, your support. We appreciate it, whether it's on a podcast platform of your choice or uh, on our YouTube channel. By the way, please subscribe. 70% of our listeners are unsubscribed on YouTube, but you keep coming back. Just hit subscribe. Do us a favor. Try yeah, it's, one, it's one click, damn it. Come on, do it. <laughs> Absolutely. How far in advance do you think the Leafs – and their management team were thinking about William Nylander and projecting the kinds of um, issues they would encounter? Like, how far ahead? Because the, where I'm going with this is, 
why would they have signed John Tavares to $11 million, uh, per season, knowing that he's taking up a lot of the money uh, that would be available to pay Nylander and maybe throw a couple of extra bones his way? The Leafs without Nylander and with Tavares are a better team. So when you slot in who is, you know, like who is the top five? I heard, I've heard this on the on the radio and who the most top, the top five most valuable players on the Leafs right now, including Nylander and Nylander is not in the top five. It's Tavares and Matthews. It's Marner. It's Freddie Anderson. It's Morgan Riley and Nylander is sixth. When you're talking about a player who is sixth or, or low or lower, you know, the, in terms of his leverage, in terms hold of, hold on, Mike, hold on. I know people don't like when I cut you off and I don't do it much. It's your recency bias is showing Mike. Tavares is playing. Nylander's not. You're forgetting how good he is. I have a very yeah. good memory, Norman. My, my, you know, I think the outlook, I think Leaf management is a little surprised that it's gone this far. I know that I heard Darren Brager this morning say, you know, I, I thought there would be an impasse, but I didn't think it would last till the middle of November. And I think the Leaf, you know, management, they, they saw Nylander based on two sixty point seasons, based on the fact that, you know, he more than likely was not going to get an offer sheet from anybody that he was in a situation where he, you know, that, they, they, you know, they weren't going to lowball him. And I don't think they have lowballed him, but based on what the Nealander camp is looking for, they can perceive that the Leafs are lowballing them. And if they want to get paid, they can get paid in Carolina. They can get paid in Anaheim or other places. They're not going to get paid $8 million from the Leafs when it comes to Matthews being signed, when it comes to Marner being signed. They, they, they need to keep their powder dry for those two players. And if Neander outprices himself, then the job of Kyle Dubas is to find the best return and get the most pieces back for a very good player. So we're encroaching the deadline. What happens with Neander, the Maple Leafs, and whatever? I don't see the Leafs coming off what they've offered so far. I don't think... If a, if a long-term deal gets agreed to, it's not going to be over $7 million because that would be that would show that Dubas got pushed around, and that's a danger sign for uh, for uh, Matthews and, and Marner's agent to take advantage of a young GM. So I don't think that's going to happen. I, you know, right now I think it's 50-50, and maybe the odds are even higher that he gets traded. It all depends on what other teams offer. If it's Brett Pesci, for William Nylander, I don't think the deal is getting done. If it's Brett Pesci and something else really good, then I think that deal will get done. And there are other teams out there like Anaheim and Philadelphia who have depth on defense that they can afford to give up a young defenseman and have other forwards as well. So I, I think it's going to be, if, mm-hmm. if the deal happens, it's going to be a multiplayer deal. It's not just going to be one for one. And, you know, again, that, that then th- at that point, then, the criticism or patting on the back of Kyle Dubas will begin because the result of the trade will depend. I think that will have a lot uh, in, in terms of Dubas's reputation. How about William Nylander for Joe Pesci and two Utes? Ralph Macchio is not a throw-in. Boreal Ninja. Is Josh Levo a replacement level player at this point? Well, um, yeah, I don't know, replacement level. I mean, he's like a 13th forward right now on a team that's carrying 12 forwards. Um, you know, Matthews is out and they haven't called up anybody. They called up Trevor Moore last week and then sent him back down. And they're on the road with 12 forwards, which I thought they would call up somebody as a, in case somebody gets sick or in case somebody gets injured. And I guess they can do that, you know, and just get somebody on a plane. But 
mean, he's played okay. He's played a lot better than he has in the past. He's actually playing. So there's, you know, that's, you know, that, that, that's a a step in the right direction for him, but has he made a big difference? Not really. I think actually of, of the bottom line of the fourth line, the guy who's performed the best has been Tyler Ennis. He was the, one of the best players on the ice against New Jersey on, on Friday and, you know, was hustling and provides a little bit of a spark. You know, sometimes Levo is noticeable, sometimes he's not, and Freddie Gauthier is a ghost. So, I, I, you know, I think that there can be some upgrades on that fourth line, and there are players on the Marlies currently that I think the Leafs are just waiting to potentially call them up in the second half, and they're letting them get a lot of work down in the, in the, in the, uh, in the minors. But, you know, Josh Levo, I like him, mm-hmm. but I don't know whether he's ever going to be a difference maker in the NHL. Yeah, Michael, this team is uh, nearing elite status if it's not there already. And if you can't contribute to this team and help it maintain a high level of play, if not make it better, then you shouldn't be there because this team has uh, plenty of options, whether uh, on the NHL roster or coming up through the AHL pipeline. Kyle Outridge just put together a nice little profile on Trevor Moore. Mike Babcock likes those guys who are working hard and producing and knocking at the door and are hungry for that opportunity. Babcock liked the way that Trevor Moore played in training camp. He scored eight goals in 10 games with the Marlies. He deserved the call up and it ended up being basically a, uh, uh, a boost to his paycheck because when he gets called up to the NHL, he gets the NHL salary. And when he goes back to the AHL, he gets the $70,000 AHL salary. So he didn't play a game, but he got a little bonus uh, by getting called up for a few days. But I, I think he deserves to get a look. And I think if he continues to score like he has uh, early in the season with the Marlies, I think he's going to deserve a look. I think that Mason Marchment, who's been scoring and mixing it up and I think is a perfect fourth line energy guy, a Carl Grunstrom and uh, you know, Dimitro Timoshov, Pierre Engvall. There's a lot of depth and that's all on the left wing where the Leafs are weak. So I think that, uh, you know, these guys could be in the mix in the second half. And if not in the second half, then next year when there are probably going to be a few openings. Yeah, you're right, Mike. Honestly, I really don't care if Nylander comes back. It's not a personal thing. I just want to see whatever happens with this situation result in some an improvement for the Maple Leafs. I'd love to see William Nylander, his career take off if he's the man somewhere else and goes on to you know become one of the top 10 players in the league. If it's somewhere else and the Leafs were able to bring back assets to improve where they are now, then so be it. That's the way it is. You can't keep everybody in this day and age, especially with that salary cap. Michael, any last words? We got to go. Yep. I think, the, I think the level of frustration amongst the fan base, I mean, there, there are fans out there who really like William Nealander as a player. There are fans out there that are not big fans. I think the level of frustration on both sides are at the same level. They want a resolution one way or the other. Let's get it done. But the management is not going to do that until they find either the best deal in a contract or the best deal in a trade. So we have – Less than three weeks to wait. I'm sure there's going to be a resolution before then. You can tell we haven't done anything in quite a while. It's a couple of BFFs just chatting away. And where'd the time go? It's almost been like 40 minutes. Got to go, bro. (laughs) Thanks, Norman.
That's a wrap for this edition of the Leafs Convo Podcast. I told you it was going to be a long one. We got to a ton of stuff. What do you think? Have your say inside the YouTube comment section. While you're on the YouTube channel, hit subscribe. The button's easy to reach. It's easy to find. Hit it. Stay a while. Give us a shot. I'm confident you're going to remain a Leafs convert when you do. You can also add us on Twitter, at Mike and Buffalo, at Norman James TLC. We're always looking for your feedback. And I tell you what, we're not going to wait as long as we just did to do the next edition of the Leafs Convo Podcast. Mark my words because I know it's important in your life. For Michael P.A., I'm Norman J. We'll talk to you soon. The Leafs Convo is out.